You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Kira Caruso is a certified doula and soon-to-be licensed midwife who moonlights as a top DJ in New York City. Not many people can say they've DJed with Questlove and witnessed the miracle of birth in the same week. I'm sitting here with uh, a name I love saying, DJ Doula. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and uh, going to sit and talk with Kira about being a DJ and being a doula. Yes. Um, uh, so why don't you give us some background? You have a really crazy interesting background. You're half Mexican, half Austrian. Yes, correct. Um, and with my you know, comic background, there's a joke in there. We'll, we'll find it later maybe. But uh, So tell us a little bit about the background and what kind of informed uh, right. this. My, my mother is actually, my mother is half Russian, half Austrian, grew up in Austria. Oh, and wow. my dad is full-on Mexican. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and uh, they met in Mexico when my mom was still a teenager. And uh, that's eventually, I came along mm-hmm. a couple years later. <laughs> and I grew up uh, mainly in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Born in Salzburg, grew up in Vienna. Would visit my Mexican family on a regular basis. My Mexican grandmother would come to be with us in Vienna every year mm-hmm. for about a month. And uh, that was a way for me to stay connected to the Mexican side. That's pretty cool. I love it when people still, uh, I, I know lots of uh, Japanese American people or Korean American, and they don't speak the language, and they're more American than I am. <laughs> right, <laughs> um, right. So do you speak? Uh, yeah, I do. I speak, uh, so Viennese German, mm-hmm. Austrian German. And then I grew up understanding Spanish and hearing Spanish at home all the time, but I did not answer in mm-hmm. Spanish. Huh. My my usual go-to would be answering in German. Wow. Um, so if, if friends would come over, or my, my stepfather, he's Argentinian, they would talk to me, and they would say something in Spanish, and I would for sure always answer in German. <laughs> to the point, my, my Mexican aunt has this f- story where she took me to the zoo. I must have been three. And I was all chatty, walking along in German, talking to her. She didn't understand a word. And, and then she kind of said, my demeanor changed and my face kind of turned kind of grumpy. And after a while, she, she asked me, ¿Qué pasa? ¿Qué pasa? In Spanish, what, what's happening? Hmm. And I uh, turned around and just said the Spanish word, hambre which means Hung- hungry. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, that was, so, so I did have it in me. Yeah, <laughs> you had refused. the survival language <laughs> skills that kicked in. Yeah. Um, and then, but you grew up in Vienna, in yeah. Austria. Um, yeah. So inspired by the art, art and culture of uh, Vienna. Um, I mean, because you were, I was reading that you started, a, like a, you're, I'm very uh, entrepreneurial. I mean, you had a, a music company that you started mm-hmm. when you were 17, a booking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I got really obsessed with American music culture mm-hmm. starting young teenager teenager and um, I got very involved in, in, in anything and everything hip-hop so I remember I would hang out with um, graffiti artists and break dancers and I was still in high school and then I um, 
Was that like Realize, Sugar Hill Gang? Right. <laughs> was that like, a, who was it? Uh, well, at that time, because I grew up really in the, in the um, 90s, it was New York oh, so uh, like, rap music, which was at that time was Nas and Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, and, sure. So it was DJ really, Khalid and uh, yeah, people like that, right? Well, yeah, he came later, yeah. but... Um, but I was really obsessed with that, not knowing much about the actual culture. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to live in New York, and my mother kept saying, well, you've got to finish high school. You have to finish mm. high school. And then I did. I was 17, and I was uh, ready to come to New York. So I went, came here at 17, 18, stayed in New York for three months, soaking up um, hip-hop culture and wow. rap music. <laughs> Wow, would you live in New York? Uh, well, back because then? I um, so that was back still then, 90s. That right? was in the 90s. Right. So I, because I really wanted to be in the in the scene and the culture, I I moved um, first to Harlem and then to the Bronx mm-hmm. wow. to really be in it. Okay, yeah, that's in it. Um, I did not tell my mother; she <laughs> thought I'm in some student residence. All right. Um, and then I came back to New- to Vienna and decided, okay, I want to be active in the music scene and, and promote parties. And I started working for a graffiti crew, and we started organizing parties. That's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, so then you fun. then you eventually do move back to the states. Years later. Years later. Like, yeah. uh, so how old were you then? Um, so I started my um, studies, my business uh, admin studies at the University of Vienna. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely bored um, studying these subjects, and um, although decided it seemed, it seemed like you would, uh, it's actually if if you look from um, a vantage point of like it probably served you well because you've started a lot of businesses. It seems like right. And so the business it, acumen that you were kind of absorbing, uh, although under protest, apparently. Uh, probably helped to inform your uh, your future. I right? saw it as a base. Right. I saw okay. it, okay, if I study anything, it should be business-related, so mm-hmm. then I can do whatever I want with it. Um, so during my summers, I would come to the States uh, and intern for different record companies. It started out with a record label called Loud Records, which was a strictly hip-hop label. Right. Um, known artists on that label back then were... Um, I think it was MOP. It was really hardcore rap music, right. <laughs> and Wu Tang Clan were on it. And then I interned for Epic Records, um, and from there I started interning for a music production company in Philadelphia call, called Axis Music Group, mm-hmm. which was affiliated with the Roots. Oh, okay. oh, Questlove. Okay. Yeah, that's how the whole thing started. Uh-huh. So I would, I came there. They, they always told me they're like why did you choose us like right why on earth mm-hmm. this little company in philadelphia and i i said i was like living in vienna no access to anything i would look at the album covers and specifically ah. look who produced what was it an album or was it a cd it was I, I bought vinyl at the time isn't that crazy oh don't yeah. we love the fact vinyl yeah. came back yeah i'm, I'm really I, happy I have, like, about a couple that. hundred records yeah. over there in my closet so yeah, yeah. I am too. And and that's how I got to that found that company. Wow. And it turned out it was the building where I worked was not only the small production company and management company but it was also the Roots' rehearsal room. It was the base for a online platform platform that still exists called okplayer.com which mm-hmm. is part of the Roots. Wow. Um and it was the 
studio complex where the Philly Neo Soul came out of, huh. where Erica Badu used to oh, come and, sure. and, yeah. and, and her records were produced, and Lauren Hill and D'Angelo and Music wow. Soul Child. So for me, it was extremely exciting. That's that's crazy. Do you still have kind of because of your your base there? Do you still have contact with those people? I know Absolutely. You, isn't that wild? Yeah. So. As a matter of fact, I would come back three consecutive times after mm-hmm. that, and wow. an intern there still while I was studying in Vienna, and uh, the people from Philadelphia, the, this group from Axis Music Group, they're still my very close friends. Wow. So I can, I can almost see now, because uh, you're a successful DJ, you're at Soho House, and uh, you did uh, a venue uh, in Manhattan. How old were you then? So you came back. So then I decided, I was like that back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, unhappy in Vienna, I um, convinced my mother that I should uh, transfer schools. Mm. And so I transferred to the Fashion Institute um, to study marketing there. And I um, did my degree, finished my degree at the Fashion Institute in, in marketing. And while I was studying, started a party called Be Easy at a venue, a small bar called Tillman's. Mm. It's kind of a speakeasy. Right. With uh, with three other DJs, and uh, it it turned into this Tuesday night underground hotspot where where all those music people would come right. and and enjoy what we were playing. Yeah, so some of those people came through the doors, like Katy Perry, mm-hmm. and who were like some of the other people who just kind of that was the place to be. So you DJed uh, yourself. There were you said there were two other DJs. It was actually so I started being more of the host at first. And then three male DJs. So it right. was um, uh, Anthony Demby, Marcus Logan, and DJ Center, which were all like industry music people. And and then after a couple, of, like about a year and a half, I was like, okay, I want to start DJing myself. Good for you, right? But um, you were the person everyone wanted to know, right? Like, I don't, I'm not so sure about I don't know, that. <laughs> if it's a super hot night, I mean, if it's a hot place to go on a Tuesday night, everyone wants to. How do how do we get access to that? Yeah, it, it, was, Kira, it, it right? was that, and, right. and we were definitely a joint venture, the, the right. four of us. Right. We were a good crew of, of, of you know, hosts and hostesses, basically. Um, but what we did is that we not only did we DJ, but we also invited other DJs to join us so that, that are now pretty famous and, and, right. and are Well, you touched on something. How many female DJs are there? Not enough. Right. More, though. More okay. and more, but definitely not enough. Right. So good for you for pushing against uh, or going upstream, but it doesn't seem like that's, that seems the way you operate anyway. So yeah. um, I, this is a really, really weird segue, which I didn't even think about, but I, you know, we could talk another hour about this. But when do you think that the music industry is going to catch up, Me Too movement is going to catch up with the music business or, or whatever? That's a really delicate subject but it seems like I mean look it's in Hollywood it's in journalism it's uh, it's, it's hit everywhere. everywhere but the music industry seems uh, almost bulletproof unless you're someone like R. Kelly who's like legitimately a criminal predator but like the lyrics so my daughter is 21 and you know I find some of the lyrics just like you know she's embarrassed to say them in front of me right. and we ch- talk about this all the time like like she feels like they're kind of degrading, but it's accepted, so uh, you listen to it. And, like, I'm thinking this this is going to happen soon. 
Well, I, I, quite honestly, I think it's an issue that comes from above mm -hmm. in terms of the actual industry. Mm -hmm. uh, the industry will accept whatever lyrics come out as long as we make money. As, as long as the, the dollars. As, as long right. as the dollars are worth it. Right. But I'm surprised, like, you know, the Pink Cats haven't mobilized to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stop buying. We're going to stop downloading um, because this is not acceptable. I don't know where, the, where that's coming, but it's coming. I hope it will come. Right. Right. Because it's definitely also systemic in the music industry. It, I, um, you know, I mean, Captain in the restaurant world, you know, in, in my business, in the wine and restaurant business, there have been chefs who've been excommunicated, um, Mario Batali. Uh, you know, right. been, you know, his ties been severed with his um, his restaurants, and and it's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's no uh, woman should have to deal with this kind of stuff. But I always look at music, and I'm like, we listen to a lot of music. You know, my wife Gail yeah. uh, and, and my daughter, and there are times we're in the car, and both my son or my daughter will turn down the radio because they know it's coming, and they don't know. They know I don't want to hear it. I'm right. not approved, but it's just like so fucking graphic. Well, but you know, it's, it's like, not even shit. that. I mean. It, just think of of the seventies. It's all drugs, rock and roll, and you know. <laughs> Agreed. It, yeah. it kind of that's already the basis. Sure, that's true. Right. So music did, does get a pass on one level for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. But I I, I, was, I was thinking about that a while, you know, a couple months back. I was like, okay, I wonder when when the heads are going to roll. Yeah. Right. Um, and the fact that they're not that there are more women now in power in the music industry but there was a long time where it's just male dominated mm -hmm. it's kind of I have to tell you from my standpoint like I'll watch the Grammys or other like music shows mm -hmm. and I'm just uh, and like I absolutely love women but I'm amazed how many like female performers just like it's like they walk into a strip club they steal the entire dance routine, dance routine from a stripper and then it's, then it's sure. like mainstreamed and I'm like Sure. Uh, you know, I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, that again is... Uh, is that brainwashing? I'm not sure if it's brainwashing. I think there is a lot of social, religious things that fall into that. Yeah, no, I think it, it, we, it, we live in... We, the U.S. is already a, a country with a lot of hypocrisy. And, and so, you know, you have yeah. the women... Uh, dressed as strippers but at the same time also prostitution is not legal right here, right yeah i come from a from a country where prostitution is legal everything is kind of standardized and right. so it's all everything is blurred here and there are no straight uh, yeah. acceptable lines i mean i think it's okay for a woman if a woman wants to portray herself in a certain way she should oh right? I totally agree with that I, um, I have no problem with a woman being like naked if that's what she really wants to do but right. I think if there are external forces shaping this behavior exactly that's when I have a problem I, I remember at that time I was working for Universal Music Group and um, I, I I was in LA it was Grammy weekend and I went to a club and they were playing a lot of the records that I worked on which were mainly at that point Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, Drake. I've worked for um, Cash Money under Universal. Mm -hmm. And it almost seemed like a Sodom and Gomorrah kind of devil circle. The, the liquor, you're in the liquor industry. Mm -hmm. So the, 
you saw kind of vodka being sold and, and, and the music played and people were really shit-faced yes. in that space. And I was like, well, this is really all it is. Yeah. It's an industry. It's a, just a constant loop of, okay, we want to sell liquor, we want to sell music, and we want to have people con- right. consume it. You want, you, I mean, exactly. You want a successful brand? Have you know P Diddy hold up a bottle of your wine, champagne, vodka? At this point, shampoo—it doesn't matter, it doesn't right? Matter. It's the same shit, right? It's it's just uh, it's it's uh, sales and commerce. Yeah, it's, it is. That's really no. what it that's is. What, and that's what we do best as Americans. We are like the capital. Capitalism has zero, Absolutely. like moral, like fiber. So, but that's what we live under. And that's my issue with DJing is mm-hmm. that if if you ask me, okay, what I, what am I playing? I usually play stuff that's not that popular. Mm. That's that's <laughs> that's good. Totally it might weird. be good, but also right. it doesn't, you know, it, for me as a DJ, it, it limits me, right. right? If I would really play stuff that's super popular, that would probably get me more into the commerce world. That's true. But actually, you're kind of segueing out of the DJ life. So let's get to the birth. <laughs> so right? you, you tell me how you go from DJing at like these really cool clubs, hanging out with people, and where the birth thing pops up and comes to your life. So It was working at Universal Music Group. Um, disenchanted by, by what I saw internally, sucking the artistry out of myself and just seeing what's happening, people working there that really didn't love music as much as I did, mm-hmm. and deciding I needed to make a change. Wow. And uh, I have a very close friend here in New York who also grew up with me in Vienna, and she got married and pregnant at uh, that time. And I was just like, well, we don't have family here. You're pregnant. I'm going to help you and support you in whatever I can do. Um, I have a godmother in Austria who is a midwife. And she said, oh, Kira, just become a midwife. And I was like, well, that sounds like a lot, a big change. So I looked into it and I was like, no way I'm becoming a midwife. That's a four-year, five-year master's degree. I'm not ready to go back to school. Right. (laughs) And I stumbled over... The term doula, I had no clue what a doula was, mm-hmm. and I researched, and I, it said well, birth, support, person, and my friend was pregnant. I was like, okay, I'm going to become a doula. I'm going to do the training and help her. Wow. So how long ago was that? That was in 2011. Okay, so like eight years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because my wife's a doula, and you know when she first started, it was probably 20 years ago, Right. and uh, nobody knew what it was. You constantly right. had to explain it, and now it seems like it's pretty hip. It's pretty it's, hip. It's hit the mainstream, like which is a good thing. Right. You're a yoga teacher and you're a doula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is, a, this is a, a, such a great industry because it is really about, I would say it's a calling to be a doula. Right. Nobody's getting into doula to get rich. Um, Nobody's becoming rich right. or you do the doula training and then realize it's not for you and you fall off yeah. pretty quickly. But the idea, if you love it, like Gail loves yeah. it. Yeah. And about helping women, supporting women and bringing yeah. like... You know, beautiful babies into the world in the best possible scenario. Right. It's a, it's a fant. I always tell her it's a calling. You know, because she's. Is. You know the hours. Oh yeah. Two in the morning, you get a call. You could be home twenty four hours, or you yeah. home in twelve hours. It's just. Yeah, yeah. It's like see you next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then you do the doula training. I do the doula training. I um, I am not at Universal anymore. I still do. Um, work in the music field just to pay my bills i um also do the childbirth education training the lactation breastfeeding training Mm -hmm. basically i did everything at once pretty much and started out just assisting other doulas and slowly building up my clientele 
Right. So, what? I mean, I, I think it's there's a lot of uh, answers to this, but what is wrong with our birth model here in this country? I mean, we could talk globally later, but like in the U.S., I mean, New York, I think, has a ridiculous high C-section rate. Right. Um, I don't know what it is. I would kind of. I yeah. think the fundamental issue is uh, health insurance. Right. Again, yeah. it's again capitalism is the issue. Sure. Um, for profit, health for insurance profit. is for profit. Yeah. So let's yeah. make some money, right? Exactly. So and um, of how insurance companies and hospitals and doctors all work together and not work together. Um, that's and the usually issue. against the woman's. Um, uh, desires and an and optimal outcome that she wants. Right? So that's one issue. Another issue is that um, overall we have women that are unhealthy, mm-hmm. that are obese, have hypertension, diabetes, all kinds of no, really illnesses complicated and complicated right. issues mm-hmm. that um, will bring in some problems when they're pregnant and at birth as well. So as a result so, of that, now it, you almost need a medical intervention because it's not a normal, healthy birth. You have a woman who's yeah. uh, yeah, got a high blood pressure or is obese, exactly. and now it's not. Yeah. Because in most other countries, doulas and mid, midwives are, it's, it is the probably the, the most uh, um, normal people just go to a midwife. Right. A, in, in, a in Austria and in a lot of places in Europe, it's actually mandatory that wherever a woman gives birth, there'll be a midwife for her. Right. And, and a midwife will also take care of her um, prenatally and postpartum, even though there might also be a doctor right. um, on site and there might be a doctor providing care. Um, it's mandatory that every hospital has enough midwives. And that does two things, right? It probably uh, really a midwife advocates more for the woman. And then on the money side, it's much cheaper to have a midwife in yes. a doula than it is to be in a hospital, in a bed, Absolutely. hooked up to monitors, medicine, all this stuff. I mean, the cost uh, benefit of having a midwife or using a doula. Even Do you see those numbers changing now in New York? You a little a lot bit. More yeah, I see it now a little bit more that they start hiring more midwives because the hospitals are starting to hire more midwives because it's actually cheaper for them. Right, and healthier it, outcomes. Uh, healthier outcomes and uh, the midwives, as a midwife, you do almost the same work as a lot of doctors. Mm-hmm. You might not do the surgery if it's a C-section, right? but a lot of the care a midwife can do right. and will get probably 50% less in pay. Right, yeah. That's, uh, so, so that's why hospitals that are for-profit enterprises are now starting to turn more towards midwives. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, they can lower their, uh, their costs. But yet, however... Right. They're shutting down birth centers in New York, unfortunately. Is it more liability or birth centers get shut down? No, um, it's that they, they see, okay, we have three large birth center rooms with possibly nice jacuzzis in there, and mm-hmm. we could, instead of sometimes having a woman give birth in there, we could rent it out for the woman that just gave birth in the small labor and delivery room and charge triple Mm-hmm. Uh, for the room as a private room, sell it as a private room. Right, that's, and that's a lot of money in that. I also mm-hmm. think of uh, those um, when you have a hospital birth. It's similar to a restaurant where you have people sit down and yeah. have dinner, Turn and around. like I need I need that table back in two hours. Like they can't sit there all night. And the same thing, in the, I think, in a lot of birthing scenarios, 
they're like everyone's like hey you know if they've been here long let's let's yeah. uh, let's uh, get this birth going give them pitocin what do we need to do to get the labor going if it's stalling we could just do a c-section you'll be in and out right and that, that in new york really changes depending on your provider mm. so there are great uh, doctors OBGYNs, that will have a woman labor naturally and will try their best for the woman to have mm. an unmedicated birth there are great midwives will will do the same, but then you also have providers that are the exact opposite. So it depends on the provider. It also depends on the hospital mm-hmm. in New York. So when I speak to a client and she wants me to support her as a doula, I would say try to hire me as soon as possible, and let's talk about who your provider is. Where are you going? Right. I was going to say um, the importance of a birth plan cannot be like it, it, it is the most important thing uh, with planning this birth, right? Um, and getting right to your provider. Look at how many C-sections he, uh, you know, right. what's his rate of, what, what, of uh, C-sections, What's their right? philosophy? Right. How do they work? Um, I've, I've had clients that, uh, women of color, that were worried if they go into a hospital that they'll be treated differently. Mm. It's like, okay, well, let's see who your provider is and mm. let's switch providers mm. if need be. And speaking of that, uh, I would, what's your experience uh, walking through the doors with a woman of color versus... Uh, a, a, a white woman. Uh, there is obvious. an absolute obvious difference. Mm-hmm. I uh, volunteered many, many times working with undocumented immigrant women mm-hmm. um, that are black and brown women, mm-hmm. uh, usually from South America or other places, and they will get different treatment. And, and why, do you, why do you think that is? Is, is it because on some level because they feel are, like they're not paying, they don't have insurance, whatever, they're... Their the, personal prejudice gets projected on this uh, scenario. Yeah, it's 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 we li- we live in a class system. We live in a racist system. Right. Um, all women will receive Medicaid, mm-hmm. no matter their immigration status. So that's right. a good thing in New York. Right. But there is um, there are a lot of providers that are upset that uh, women with that might not you know as they that's. Their perception, okay, they're not paying taxes, they're getting this care, and now we have to treat them nicely, right? Um, So, yeah, you have systemic racism, and um, we have a class system. It's so crazy, and... uh Actually, bums me out to hear it. Hear it that you, you people would superimpose that on top of a scenario where a woman is giving birth, life is starting, this most amazing cliche miracle of birth, and the shit that starts that's the way they're going to start their kind yeah, of that's how uh, babies entry enter. Into the, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it kind of bums me out. Yeah, but it's um, depressing. Know, <laughs> it's depressing, but it's real. And I think, like, uh, for any you know person who's listening in this, I mean, I would hope that they take away the birth plan is, is key. It um, starts with really. It starts with preconception, mm-hmm. preconception, and and making sure a woman is a woman is healthy, mm-hmm. that right. her surroundings are healthy, that she is already well taken care of starting out, mm-hmm. and then getting the right prenatal care. Right, and and that's where it already kind of falls, right? If you get the wrong prenatal care, and um, you end up in the hospital that might treat you a certain way, sure. Then then you the the child will have a different entry, mm-hmm. and the woman will have a different experience. Right, that's why it's important to have a doula. That's why they it's advocate important. for you. Absolutely. I mean, Gail has seen it. She's walked in with like. 
a, a, a black woman who was the CEO of a, like a cosmetic company. And she sees the difference right away, and she's the one that steps in and goes, wait a minute, this is not the way we're going to proceed here. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have somebody, you need somebody to advocate for you in that yeah. situation. And teaching the women to advocate for themselves as well. Exactly. Both. Mm-hmm. Both. And it's not only, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not only do, should women have the right support system preconception and prenatally during the birth process, the arrival of their child, but also postpartum. Mm-hmm. Right. They need good support as well. Yeah. So and I think in New York, it, 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 the whole doula um, phenomenon is so large is because a lot of people don't have family in New York. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. You're right. We didn't, um, and Gail kind of stumbled in because she didn't have a fantastic experience at first right. part of her birth and said I want to do something I want to help women and that just like I said it became a calling right. um, so now you're all in because you're a doula so you're so you're a doula you're a DJ and now you're going to midwifery school as well which as you said is a very hard thing oh, yeah. to do and you're close to getting your uh, <laughs> my, midwifery license uh, yeah my, my master's is around the corner I uh, question myself every other day as to why I decided <laughs> to go to medical school right um, and and uh, I talked to my colleagues. We were like, let's get back to just music work, waitressing, whatever it may be. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, I, mean, really how, I mean, I can't believe, like, you get off, what time do you get off work? Well, um, I'm doing my clinical rotation right now. I do it, I live in Brooklyn. I, um, the hospital is in the North Bronx. So it takes me two hours to get to the hospital. <sighs> If I have a night shift, my night shift starts around 7, 7.30 p.m., and then usually I don't get off until, if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I get off at 8 p.m., but usually it's 9, I mean, um, 8 a.m., and it's wow. usually 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. That's a 12, 14-hour shift. 14-hour shift plus four hours of travel. And four hours of travel, then you could have a birth at any moment the phone could ring you, like, hey, I need you. Right, if I still take doula clients, I rarely take doula okay. clients right now because okay. it's just too much. But yeah. I DJ, so I and might... Irene, so what time do you start DJing, <laughs> right? right? So, <laughs> what time do you go to work to be a DJ? That, luckily, I don't know any afternoon DJs. <laughs> I'm so glad that I have this wonderful job at Dumbo House and Soho House where the hours are actually decent. So, okay. so I might start at 9 p.m., I might start at 10 p.m. or 6 p.m., and it's usually four-hour shifts. So it's oh, really, that's, that's cool. It's really nice, doable. I call it my mental health job. Right. And so uh, when you're DJing, um, does this, do you still do a lot of like research on music, like uh, people who are new and up-and-coming yes. and try to dig and find yes. uh, great stuff to turn people on to? Is that every, part of every, the love of being a DJ? Yeah. It's, right. it's part of my love for music mm-hmm. is that every week I... I just listen to new stuff mm-hmm. or old stuff. <clears throat> okay. Um, and uh, there's not that much of digging in the crates anymore. Just just time <laughs> constraints. I, I mean, go also and stores man. lack of stores. And, and and go on Spotify. Right. <laughs> there's like uh, there's like ten million artists I've never right. heard of, and I'm like, where do you have the time? You know, I I commute I, a lot, so I get to listen to a lot of music. On the I commute, have so. not. I think it's really because of my limited amount of time. Over the years, I've not befriended Spotify yet. I have an account. It's on my list. I need to do a DJ. Do you know what I use Spotify for? I find uh, obscure music, which I do love. And then there's stuff that I just forget, and I just will punch in stuff on Spotify, like Herb Albert in the Tijuana Brass I was listening to this morning, whipped cream and uh, all that kind of cool music, which reminds me of like, you know, 
No, it's an uh, amazing you know, when I was a kid. And and also, what's really crazy about Spotify, you can listen to classic speeches. So you can listen to Martin Luther King, JFK. Right, you can listen right. to uh, uh, Dylan Thomas reading, you know, A Child's Christmas in Wales. I mean, the the extensive library of stuff they have. I mean, it's kind no, of no. It's insane. it's an amazing, amazing <clears throat> research tool. Okay, so uh, if we were going to go decade music. to decade, eighties. Who's your favorite? Uh, I start earlier. Seventies, uh, sixties, <laughs> oh, 60s. All right, fifties. Wow. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I remember as a child, I stumbled over a record, and it was this smiling man on the cover, and it turned out to be Sam Cooke. Oh so I, wow! I, I got really into Sam Cooke as yeah. a kid. Um, He's got such a beautiful voice. Yeah. Wow. And and then my stepfather is a musician, so music was just a constant at yeah. home. So a lot of um, Jimi Hendrix when I was little, um, Dylan and and Joni Mitchell, hmm. um, and then I got obsessed. Like around '88, I got up. Actually, earlier, I got obsessed with Prince. Oh yeah. But you have to always kind of look at it from. There's this girl in Vienna. We had two TV right. channels and two radio stations. Right. Um. So yeah, I you forget how, how you had to really dig to find music. Right? I had to, yeah, yeah, I had to really be exposed. Either somebody would give me a cassette or or a cassette. or wow. you know a yeah. seven inch or something, right, right, for me to to figure it out. And then at that time, and and so Prince, I remember I got the Sign of the Times concert video cassette, mm-hmm. and I just looped it. I would watch yeah. it over and over and over and over and then uh i it's mind-blowing prince like he there's a trove of music that have hasn't even been released yet that somebody's it's all in the vault yeah it's in a vault like (laughs) we're all waiting for it desperately i I just wish that he just had an air that he signed some you know contract with somebody you know that he set it up thinking futuristically and that's actually when i'm gone you know somebody should release this and and maybe give the money to like he was, he actually, he, was he did a lot of uh, charity, philanthropic yeah, yeah. charities, like release all my stuff and donate to these charities. Yeah, I mean, he just didn't been... have his will in place. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Problem. There's a life check for everybody. Get your, get your, get your will, your living will together, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And think it, of Prince, right? Think of Prince. Yeah. And uh, actually, Questlove is a huge Prince fan. And, oh, yeah. and uh, every time I work with him, I would play, like, I play a Prince song or, or a, one of Prince's girl groups. And then Questlove comes on, and he has like the better version with the better beat, and just takes it over. <laughs> I, I told you, I'm trying to get Questlove so hard on this uh, on on the podcast because I know he loves wine, and of yeah, course, yeah, he's just yeah. a musical genius as well. Yeah. Um, I love this story of the Questlove and the Roots um, interviewing for uh, Jimmy Fallon show, and they didn't think that you know, well, you know, we we they they had them um, they had them kind of uh, pigeonholed. This is what the music they. They're gonna audition with, and and they just sat there and said, "Well, what do you want to hear? You want to hear classic? You want to hear Prince? You want to hear Sam Cooke? You want to?" Hear? Right. And they just went like boom, boom, boom. They like, can do and it just, all. Just they knocked just it all out. Amazing and like, musicians. Hired. Yeah, I mean, un, unreal. Um, so Prince for sure. Um, yeah, I, that's what they I did. I was yeah. definitely always a huge Prince fan, and then just as a teenager, because I was obsessed with hip hop, then came the, the the whole neo soul wave. So mm. I was obsessed with. D'Angelo, he, hmm. his first album came out in 94, 95, and I literally listened to this album, it's called Brown Sugar, hmm. every day for three years, wow. and I tortured my mother. 
tortured her. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm writing this down. I got to listen to it. I'm sure I've heard some and of the songs. And then his second from it. album came out, Voodoo, and it was just oh my god, it's just mind blowing for me. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's like Yeah. I so say you're going to miss DJing? I will continue. Yeah, There's wow. yeah, I will not stop mm-hmm. DJing. I just love it so much. For me DJing, I I love to dance. So that's how I approach DJing. If wow. I can dance to the tune, it's going to be a good tune. Remember, the, uh, you're too young to remember Dick Clark, American Bandstand. So you start well, yeah, because I mean, I do, I do know Dick Clark, okay. but it, it, yeah. nobody yeah. ever saw Dick Clark in right. Austria. Yeah, that's uh, um, it's definitely American culture. Mm-hmm. So a- after Prince and D'Angelo, you're uh, anyone currently like have your ear and you're like, um, man, this Anderson Pock. It's a it's a guy from LA, super funky mixture of R and B and rap music. Um, mm. Anderson Pock is definitely for me. I'll write that kind down. Of, yeah, I do. I do have DJ mixes online, so I'm always like, well, you can. You're more than welcome to listen to my mixes. Oh, that's true. Oh, so you you can yeah. go online and find your yeah, uh, your you playlist because play, yeah. Spotify has that. You can share playlists as you well. You can share playlists on Spotify. I have playlists on Mixcloud under my name, and okay. I have playlists on um, with SoundCloud as well. Um, and what's your DJ name? It's my first and last name. It's okay. Kira Caruso, so K-Y-R-A-C-A-R-U-S-O. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Just so yeah. people can find it. Yeah. And we can, you, can, you can listen to these like... I mean, if you're playing at, at you know, Dumbo Soho House, I mean, you've got to be pretty badass to be I, doing that. I love working for Soho House and Dumbo House because they let the DJs play their music. Well, congrats on um, getting your license, Thank and you. um, I want people to be able to find you for not only your playlists, for just advice and putting birth plans together. Right, right. And so, why don't you tell us your website and so how to find you? My doula midwife website is my first and last name, so it's kiracaruso.com. Um, then I'm also on Instagram under my name, Kira Caruso. Cool. Thank you so much. I know you Thank have to you. go uh, go to work, go yeah. spin some music and make I people do. happy. I know. I'm uh, so excited. I, yeah. And so thank you for coming on. This was a spectacular. And thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar.